Hi guys, welcome to the show. My guest today is a BJJ purple belt. He's a crazy wrestler, a black belt in karate. His name is Mr. Harry Dealey. It's time to high five and fist bump. A jujitsu podcast for the everyday grappler. Let's talk subs. Let's talk positions. Let's talk dominating the mats. Welcome to the Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu podcast with Raymond Terrence. Let's get into it. Harry, thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, maybe tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your background and just, just are you, where are you from and how you got started in martial arts, basically? How I got started? <clears throat> well, I was a shit rat. I mean, that's the nice way to put it. I mean, it's the only way to do it. Uh, growing up as a kid, the, my dad was a cop. My mom uh, worked property management, so they were home rarely. Okay. And when you're a cop's kid, it's great when you're in elementary, you know? Uh, everybody wants to be your friend because your dad's cool. Because your dad's a, a cop. cop. <laughs> then you hit junior high in Alberta and now it's not cool anymore. Now right. you're a rat. You're this. Right. So you either have to prove you're just as bad, if not better than someone, or you have to be, you know, you have to be the goody goody that you're right. never in trouble. Yeah. Well, that's never in my nature. Anyway, <laughs> and I started hanging around with like Lebanese gangs and krauts and crap like that in Calgary. And because... Mm. You know, get along to get along. Got to prove I'm a bad. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, wrestling actually got into it in grade six. My wrestling, my gym teacher hung around with like the Hart brothers, the fake WWE guys. Okay. He's like trying to get me off the same path. And he's took me to, you know, meet the Hart brothers, to meet Ross Hart, meet the Bret Hart, to meet Owen Hart and stuff like that at their gym to be like, this is real Maple Leaf wrestling. And he was like really excited about it. And I was like, yeah, that's not my cup of tea. Right. <laughs> so he's like, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm introducing you to see this. So, you know, you'll see how I wrestle. His name is Doug Kelba. He's a principal at the high school where I graduated from okay. now. This is in Calgary. This is in Calgary. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He graduated. He's a, he's now the principal of the high school that I went okay. to. So I was, I was just giggling about it when I heard. And I was just like, okay, whatever, you know. And he brought me into the wrestling room and then started bringing me to tournaments and introducing me to, like, the club wrestlers and, you know, the Reg LaRock and Mitch, Mitch ran the UFC, the UFC Dinos, and Reg ran the Calgary Rebels. And then I, you know, grade seven, I hit, and I'm no longer with Doug Kelvin. I'm now, like, in the high school. And there was an amazing guy there, and he just really started pushing me, and he's like, now go club. Like, you're getting too good for high school, go mm-hmm. club. And then when I went, went to club, it... So that's, like, transferring from, like recreational to like competitive yeah, yeah extremely competitive like okay. the, that's the olympic like they push like the montreal wrestling club like victor okay i mean reg was under victor for in the 1976 olympics as a first alternate okay so i mean he was he was a very good wrestler wow. <laughs> and he created multiple world champions in our, even out of our room he had world champions in the room when i was in calgary and he saved my ass okay. i went from being like hanging around with like a rougher crowd at that point to all I did was eat, live, breathe, wrestling, football. That's there was no other thing other than that. I was still getting in trouble all the time and right. stuff like that. But did your dad push you to do wrestling? Like, was he um, encouraging for wrestling? My or? parents were very standoffish. Okay. Like, my parents demanded that I behave. My parents demanded this. Right. If not, there's consequences. But, Sound, sounds like my parents. <laughs> you know. Okay, Dad, you work nights, twelve-hour shifts, and then you have court in the morning. So. When you're not sleeping, you're working. Right. 
So parent, you can say what you want. Parenting <laughs> was more like those like high level like key <laughs> phrases that you'd get from them. And my parents were in the same like well, I think we're the same generation. I'm I'm going to be forty three. Yeah, forty five. There you go. It's the same thing. <laughs> so growing up in the eighties, my dad worked a lot. It was the same situation. Come up clean. That's it. You know, I'm coming home to tell you clean, clean your room or else. There you go. You know, and it was everything was rough love. It's yeah. kind of how it goes. You Do you know? find it that that home situation? helped you get in to like be able to endure all those rough wrestling trainings and that competitive you aspect know, or it, it makes you tougher because you have no choice right i mean it really does i mean when you're babied and there's lots of kids i know that are babied and mm-hmm. you know they get hurt that's it they're they're done for a week you know right hey i bumped my head i mean you that's it i gotta take a month off because i might have a concussion not not hate yeah. My coach, even when I had a broken rib, would be like, no, no, we're doing gut wrenches today. Get your butt back on the mat now. We're oh, done. you're puking? Puke, get back on the mat. Let's go. And it was very old school, like, wave teaching. And I think the parents were less involved also in the 80s. Right? At all, the 80s at, and all 90s, at all, at all. The parents would just, thing. the parents <laughs> drop you off and then they pick you up if, if they pick if you that, up If that, if afterwards. not, you take the bus <laughs> or walk or your bike, nice. or depending on how far it is, right? right. Like, how long did you wrestle for? Uh, I wrestled from, well... I started in grade six, but club-wise, I started in grade seven, and I, I went till 23 years old. Wow. Okay. And uh, at that point, it was me fighting with my girlfriend at the time because we're engaged, and, you know, the whole, like, crazy wildness that goes with that stuff. Early uh, 20s, yeah. Early yeah. 20s, you know. I mean, she, her parents were moving back here with Air Canada. Canadian Airlines got bought out by Air Canada, so they were shipping him back there. Okay. And she can't be too far from the umbilical cord so it was like gotcha we're all going that's it and I, I, at first i was excited about coming to montreal and montreal right on mm. and then i was like oh fuck i don't speak french <laughs> <laughs> i spoke not like i could count to 10 and i could say yeah. you know like that's all i knew when i moved here hmm. so when i actually got here it's like pure panic i didn't know what the hell to do the only thing i did know how to do is sports right you how know? old were you when you came here 24 24 okay. yeah 24 and then within that year it was a lot it was a divorce it was going to university having a kid like moving 3,000 2,000 some odd kilometers from home it was a lot all in one and wow. you know the only thing that stopped me from going crazy is one of my friends that I met that owns Slick Style Steel he told me come roll with us you know because you did wrestling come roll with us and I was right. like okay I'll come roll so he'd like mats at his house like you know, like Claudio and them do. And I was rolling with them and I was destroying them. And they're like, you're just too good. You actually have to get the hell out of here and go to a club. Go to a place where you're actually going to learn You know, but right? how he did it is he invited a guy named Max Frello. He, he runs Heart and Soul Karate Gym. Runs a karate gym. Okay. So I started, that's how I started Kyokushin at the same time as Jiu-Jitsu. Because he'd bring me to help his Jiu-Jitsu guys roll better and, and fight better because... So they were doing karate and jiu-jitsu. And jiu-jitsu in the same gym. And just trying to figure it out, and basically. Still, well, they weren't trying to figure it out. They were, they were with BTT. They were with... Okay. The, Serginio was teaching at the time. Okay. Uh, before, I don't know what happened, he ended up going back to, you know, and Fabio sent someone else there. Was it uh, gi or no gi? It was gi. It was gi. It was gi, yeah. It was, and no gi, of course, we did no gi because the wrestling part right. was what they were trying to use me more for. Okay. And in that case, then he started me karate. And I mean, he totally helped me out. I was financially poor as a mofo. Right. You know? So before I know it, the Yannick Bergeron was like a guy that was introduced to me. And he was like, oh, wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. Yes. And I was going out to Drummondville to teach wrestling all the time. Okay. With Martin Garmont especially because 
you know, we were friends and he was like, that's it. You know, we're working the clubs together. We're, before you know it, you know, we're, we're always there. And that's how I got into amateur MMA. Okay. And I fought three times in there and it was, won the belt in three fights. Never made it past the first round. Right. And I was like, okay, why not try professional? Okay. Were you making money? I'm just curious. Not, not amateur at all. Oh, but not even, even before teaching. that. Yeah, not even nothing. Not even teaching, nothing. Not, nothing. Okay. I did it out of my friends. I made friends. And okay. It gave me my getaway. It gave me my stress Something relief. to do. It gave me, right, you know, right. like, because too much crap going on in my life at, yep. the, at that time. So it, I needed something like that. Okay. And, you know, before you know it, I fought professionally at the Bell Center. And that's when I figured out I'm too fucking old to fight MMA. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> at 30 years old is not the time you start fighting. Who, who did you fight at the time? Was it anybody that anybody would know? No or? one that I know, no. actually. Okay. I, I mean, my training partners were David Wazo and Harry and, okay. like, other guys that are there, that are there have their own school now, like Crow Training, or right. had to TriStar, okay, or in Drummondville, because okay. Yannick Bergeron's an amazing kickboxing coach. He is really good. Okay, and he's in Quebec City now. He's in uh, Drummondville. Okay, he runs it. It's a huge school. I mean, he, okay. there's a lot of people that go there. It's it's actually pretty amazing. Hmm. Um, I started with them, and then I met the guy named Denis Cordero. He runs a Kenry Kai Karate out here in Canada. And he was like, oh, come check us out. And I thought karate was going to be a joke. I thought it was going to be like that. Oh, you can, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The fake. Yeah, yeah. He brought me in there and no, it wasn't that at all. It was Burn. like, welcome to Kyokushin for real. Welcome to Kenry Kai for real. We're- and that was when you decided. So when you were when, when you were done, like, well, I'm not saying done, but you had done a few MMA fights. What was the reason why you didn't want to continue training in MMA? What did you realize there was no money in it, or was it uh, just like, just too old, man? At thirty years old, it's not time to start a career in MMA. Right, it's really not. I mean, the one of my biggest regrets ever was not starting at a much, much younger Early. age, because yeah. really keeping up with a twenty-year-old kid now is, you know, even at thirty, it's not as easy. These guys bounce back. These guys, when they get hurt, I mean, you, you, you'll find this as you same age as me. I have what I make fun of as a five-year rule. Every five years, everything freaking hurts more. Mm-hmm. Everything lasts longer. Everything's like that. Holy shit, what hurts today? <laughs> and I make fun of it at the same time because, you know, I'd much rather have that kind of aches than fucking waking up from just laying in bed. From doing nothing. And saying, I'm sore. Oh, my sore neck. Oh, my sore back. But for what? For what? what for nothing. What, right? did, what did, did I do, I do yesterday? Nothing. I went to bed, right. you know? like yeah. So it just reasoned it more in my head. Okay. And then when I got my black belt in karate in Kenry, at Kenry Kai, I'm like, I miss rolling. Like, I miss yeah. jiu-jitsu. I miss wrestling. Wrestling's you not know, a sport you get out of and go in back in when you're 40. Like, yeah, I was going to ask you about that transition from wrestling to karate when you're a little older. Because um, karate obviously is, a, especially the style of karate that you did, it was it was Shotokan karate? No, it was Kenry Kai. Kenry Kai karate. Okay. Oyama split into two sections Maso Yama sent Soshu and over down to US to New York mm-hmm. that's where the first introduced Japanese karate in North America mm-hmm. was from Maso Oyama who sent Soshu here mm-hmm. Soshu started a school called Oyama Karate Oyama Karate went big but you know pol- politics and whatever else and a little bit of drinking here a little bit of drinking <laughs> there and, you know politics more politics than anything yeah. else the uh, the brother came over and they got into a fight about the school and they were splitting the school with the two Oyamas. And at that point, all the guys that have been training for years are like, 
screw this. We don't agree with your crap. You know, you guys, we can do this all ourselves. And they started kirkshin. Right. And Hanshi Manny at the time was like, Manny was, Manny Mateus was like, no, we don't agree with your style 100%. So they started creating Kenrikai. And Kenrikai is, before, in this, when it first split, was like, you can grab one second. Okay. And then it went from grabbing one second to you can hook with your hand and and knee someone or or you know pull someone into a punch or into an elbow. Or, so it's Kyokushin with some small adaptations to it, right? Ex- exactly was okay. But I mean, okay. and different katas, same movements, different katas, how they're put together. Okay. Again, more politics. Like you start your own school. I like the idea of this. I'll take the idea of this, take an right. idea of this and put it together. Which I think was what mo- a lot of karate schools, like I, I have a black belt in karate. I got in in 1998. I was 18 years old when I got my black belt. I started training when I was very young. Again, very old school uh, mentality, 100 pushups on our knuckles every class. This is when I was like nine years old. Like he didn't care. It was very rough around the edges. Sparring was on tiles. We didn't have a matted jojo like it was very rough in the bottom of a community center (laughs) smelt moldy and i was there for years and years and years and years but he is a he's a product of that of was teaching us kyokushin but he had modified some things along the way and it was only later on in life that i realized that what i was learning through him wasn't pure kyokushin because i went afterwards to a pure kyokushin school later on when i was in my late 20s just to see if i'm what if i was interested to get back into training karate full time and i realized what they were doing wasn't what we were doing what in the 80s and 90s so that means that he got a black belt in kyokushin he opened his own school and then decided to tweak some things that he thought maybe were better or, or whatnot. So, <laughs> so when it poli- comes down to his politics. I'm telling you, I say it to this day, politics and karate and, and in martial arts in general, but in karate is, it, it really breaks, in most cases that I've seen, breaks apart relationships and really divides people. And I can go through numerous examples of that over the years where it just it divided black belts, it divided students. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's sad. Yeah, it's... it's it was it's rough and i think maybe is it you know the lack of federations or too many people meddling into other people's business or is it a money thing i think it's a mixture of all of it the problem the problem with most of it is is egos yeah because trying to create a balance now more so than ever i mean in any any sport especially fighting sports mm-hmm. creating the balance of the average joe who brings their whole family to train and you know, like that's where the money is. Yeah. You're not paying, uh, you're not, those guys are, are paying you every week, no matter what, you no, know, whether their kids suck, whether their kids are good, whether the dad is good or whether the dad's, they don't care. it doesn't matter. No. They just pay to learn, pay to learn, pay to learn, pay to yeah. learn. High competitive athletes is such a small number that you can't base your dojo or base your, your training on those specific people. Yeah, because it's, it's not even the 1%, right? It's, that's yeah. it. It's not even the 1%. So you mm-hmm. can't focus your whole dojo on everyone's going to be a world champion in this room. Where when I grew up, even wrestling was everyone's going to be a world champion. I don't care how hard I have to bust you, break you, rebuild you. Everyone here is going to be. Yeah. And it maybe it was the mentality of the, the school owner or the head coach realized that if I do that to everyone, 
one person is going to come out of that bunch. But if I don't do it to everyone, I might not find that one person. So I need to do that rigorous training to weed out the people that don't have that potential. But someone probably out of the bunch is going to shine and that's the person who is going to be that guy, right? But that's where business comes into play too. Exactly. That's the problem right. with it is because they don't pay the bills. That 1% exactly. does not pay your bills. Not at all. And, mean, then you, and then you lose people over that, right? That hard training. Even Fabio yeah. going to stand in someone's corner, he's making money off that. But how many people out of how many people in all the dojos that he runs are professional fighters like that? Exactly. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. the, I'd, I've never seen anything like it before. Because right. you have to really learn to balance relationships and business at this point more than you're going to be a world champion. You're going to be yeah. this. You're going to be that because yeah. your chances of being a world champion at 45 years old are really low. <laughs> and, and to be honest, it's it's so irrelevant in karate. Like if we were to think back and start naming world champions in karate, yeah, we couldn't name people. Andy Hook. Okay, you named one. It's <laughs> <laughs> like what? right away. What, what are you talking right? about, man? No, but like the you know, there's it's, there's it's, a fair amount of amazing people. The problem with it is, is that it's how just... many people know about it if you're not in the sport? Exactly. I mean, how many yeah. amazing jujitsu guys do you know if you if you weren't in the sport? Yeah, it's just true. names. I mean, throwing the names up you have here, you know, Renzo yeah. Gracie, yeah. Enzo, or Henzo Gracie, sorry, yeah. or or any one of them. I mean, yeah. the, the problem is is that unless you're really merged into it, yeah. You don't understand it. And nowadays, they don't teach history anymore. Yeah. I mean, they really don't teach history anymore. Like, because mm-hmm. they're getting away from the traditional and moving more towards, okay, generic classes. Mm-hmm. And then people who want to be exceptional have to go the extra mile. Right. But do you think there's still a, a, a business in traditional karate? Do you think that there's still, a, like, a, a lot of people are switching out to MMA. They're signing up their kids. They see MMA. They're like, I'm going to send my kid there because it says MMA on the wall. Whereas they're, you know, instead of sending them to a traditional karate school, um, you see reg. And this is just from people I know. You see registration. It's just, they're just not there in traditional martial arts anymore. Um, you know, they have a hard time keeping the doors open. It's really tough now to keep a traditional karate or Kung Fu place running on just that. You have to offer more than just the one thing a lot of these traditional places i think have it tried to adapt over the years where they'll have a wrestling coach come in you know they'll have a jiu-jitsu guy come in and teach grappling twice a week like that's what's keeping i think these schools afloat just sticking to that one traditional martial art um you just don't see many anymore right well you see a less and less less and less right i mean i know tons of kirkshin schools that only teach kirkshin yeah the problem is is that I've never met an MMA fighter who's tried Kyokushin and said that they're pussies. <laughs> you know, like, right. They're like, that's crazy. That's harder than MMA. Yeah. You know, taking the beating, the legs, the body, you know, still being able to take a kick to the head and knee to the face. Yeah. You know, like it, it's, it's not an easy sport. Yeah. The problem is, is that it's one-sided. It's one-sided. It's one-sided you know, yeah. it's very baby down. The problem is more traditional doesn't work anymore. Hmm. Parents don't want to see their kids traditional. They don't want to see their kids doing push-ups on a floor. They think it's cruel when they're doing push-ups on a hardwood floor. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have a mat. It's okay. Yeah. Okay, but your kids are never going to build the calluses on their knuckles. So when they punch, which is really why they do it on a wood floor, is to help with the calluses on your knuckles in order right. to hit harder and not feel the pain. Yeah. Uh, the best business model I've ever seen has to be karate sportive. You don't have to know the sport. We're just going to teach it. We're going to tell you that you're here to learn how to fight and how to better yourself. 
And yet, if I really put you in the ring or put you with someone who's trained, yeah. it's not good. It's funny because I was having this conversation with, I don't remember who this week, we were. T- I was talking about my son. Um, he's going to be five. Um, put him in jiu-jitsu, really no interest there whatsoever. We did a few months of soccer, his first soccer season last summer. It wasn't soccer. It was just a bunch of kids just barely running around around a ball. I pulled him out of that real quick. Um, so I was I was talking to the guys in the locker room after jiu-jitsu class. I was like, hey, like you guys have kids. Where what do you where do you send your five-year-old to just move, right? Just yeah. get them to do some type of activity in the summer um, where they can just move and get some exercise. And one of the guys was like, you want your kid to move? Send him to Karate Sportif. So for those that don't know... I'm saying it in French, it's in English would be like sport karate. It's a chain. It's a franchise of karate schools that is very uh, generic. Uh, it's um, basically kids change color geese. They change belts every like month. They get stripes on their belt literally all the time. And it all they do all these little things to keep uh, kids stimulated in the program. Uh, they, it's a business model because they make money off of all these every time a kid changes or gets a, a diploma or this and that. dollars for a black there you belt. Go. Yeah. You can have a 12-year-old with a third Dan. Yeah. So they have, they also have really young kids insane. getting black belts also that they call junior black belts until they reach a certain age and then they get, uh, I guess what they call a regular black belt. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But um, one of the guys at the gym was like, you want your kid to move, send him there. Because at least he'll get an exercise in. Don't think about the karate aspect. You just want your kid to move. So. Yeah, they're not teaching really how to fight. They're no. to, like, they're really, there is no karate model there. Other yeah. than you get to kick a pad. You get to punch a pad. Yeah. And yes. again, I think it's very, there are very few parents who are sending their kids into martial arts saying, like, I want him to be a fighter or even I want him to learn how to defend himself. I think most parents just want to send their kids somewhere just to But that's not a good something. way to even look at any combat sports. Right. Well, it depends what you're preaching as a school, too. You know what I, I mean? I mean, the truth is, is what you need, to, what you need, what, what a good sport does, what a good organized karate, right. jiu-jitsu, all this stuff. What it, what it really does is help discipline, self-discipline. Right. I think it is more effective... To teach them something that they had to work hard at to earn. Mm-hmm. You know, not just something my paycheck can buy my kid and say my kid's a double black belt. Yeah. You're right. Your kid gets to move. Your kid gets to run around a room. He gets to kick a pad and pretend that he's doing something. Right. The problem is, is that in reality. What is he getting out of that something? In reality, right? what's he getting out of it? I mean, right. he's going to go outside thinking that he learned how to kick and punch. Till he finds someone who can kick and punch. Yeah. So I'll give the example. So I've been coaching soccer for many years. Uh, last summer, I decided to coach locally in a different club than I used to. I'm not going to th- throw Name the, it. the yeah, club out of, under the bus because <laughs> it wasn't the greatest experience. Um, sorry, this was two summers ago. Um, and one of the girls was... So I was training goalkeepers because I played goalkeeper for a long time um, in soccer. So I was just... I said, I'll, I'll do a summer. I'll do twice a week, two evenings. It was an hour. It was pretty good money, actually. And I didn't want to commit to taking on a full team and coach an entire summer. And then you're not home on evenings and weekends because you're doing three games a week. I've got to, like young kids. It just didn't make sense. One of the girls that was doing the goalkeeping course, um, she was a black belt at Karate Sportif. Okay. Um, so just for the fun of it, 
I was like, oh, okay, well, show me a front kick. And I was naming all the kicks in Japanese, like, show me a Maiguri, show me a Yokoguri, and like all this stuff. And she was still training at Kakati Sportif. And she told me she was a junior black belt. And it was insane what I saw. Um, again, I'm just giving one example of one kid. It could be an outlier or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from what I told, that's pretty much the norm there. Again, I've I, seen their classes. I'm I haven't seen their in. classes, I so I can't, I I can't be too judgmental. Field. Okay. I went in there, and we have one in Vaudreuil. Okay. The owner does not like me because I said something at Hugo Sport <laughs> about what a joke karate that is. Like, it's not karate. Okay. It's actually just a business model. And that's what it is. Okay. It's, it's a direct business model. Mm-hmm. They don't have to teach you something. I mean, I could take a bunch of kids, throw them in a room, and let them roll around and play king of the math, and we can pretend that they know how to wrestle. Right. It doesn't work that way. But you know what? That guy makes money hand over fist. I give him credit. That mm-hmm. That's something that most of our dojos that actually are pure mm-hmm. don't have. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you have so many people coming in, so many people doing this. Like, you don't come to BTT and think that now I'm going to be a world champion. I mean... It's a lot of work. You get in that room and there's people in that room that humble you. I don't care how good you think you are. They will humble you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that business model, I think there's a, there's a, there's a business, right? There are parents who want to put their kids in that type of school, maybe because they just don't know anything else. Right. And they, you know, it's big, it's flashy. Some people like the bragging rights. Let's be honest. You want to brag that your kids are Some do, some do. (laughs) And again, I don't know how, you know, these franchises work. I've I've never been to a class. I only know what I hear. But um, there are, all that to say, there are still some very traditional schools that are holding strong yeah holding strong that have some talent there aren't many but there are, there are a few and one of them is where where you come from right yeah um i don't know what his official title is Dini Sheehan Sheehan Cordero yeah. right and you went back to karate when you were a little older right well, I was much older i started at 30 again at 30 right <laughs> like everything just kind of recircled back okay. you know and that's why it's like at first it's like oh, katas, it's dancing. It's like there's no no value to it at all. Right. But do you learn actually when you do it properly? The value that's included in me, your legs hurt, your muscles hurt, everything hurts by the time you're done. Right. <laughs> and you stuck you stuck through it. How long did it take you to get all the way to your black belt? Ten years. Ten years. Ten years from white to black. Wow. But I mean, I came in already fighting, already like coming straight from it. You had a base. They. Right. They weren't scared. I mean, at, at first, I mean, I made fun of it a lot. Denis would take me to a tournament or something, and he would pull off my white belt or blue belt and give me a green belt, and I'd fight black belt. Just not the sandbag. Just not to be like... Well, that's that's respectful, you right? Know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the minute I walk off the mat, off comes the green belt, and back goes on the white or blue belt. You right. Because he's like, yeah, no, because I... You know, I go in, I fight. I'm not scared. And, yeah, and, you know, but, but that's a good instructor also. He knows that you have a background already, Um you're just going to go in. If you went against a guy that just because you have a white belt on your waist, if you went against other white belts, you would just, it'd be a bad day for them. Right. Yeah. And no one's learning anything. So he's a good instructor to be like, Hey, you want to do a tournament? Fine. But you have a white belt around your waist, but you're capable, way capable of more based on your background. So let's nudge you up. Right. Let's make it a more even playing field for everybody. Right. Yeah. But you did well in competition in karate. Uh, okay. I don't, Never anything phenomenal. I just 
it wasn't again i just got to the age where like i said i was you just wanted to too do something old right? and, <laughs> like too old and it's not that i can't fight because yeah. i can fight it just i choose that why do i have to go and hurt myself and have to go to work the next day and then right. i have to pick up my kids and deal with my kids and right. that's what that's where it becomes harder at an older age because yeah. you have More, other responsibilities yeah. outside of training already you miss a lot of these opportunity opportunities with your family because you're in the gym yeah as much as you are yeah i mean at one point i was doing karate six days a week you know between teaching and doing and all this stuff and then i got to the point where it drove me crazy that after i got my black belt i said okay i need off i need need a break i need i need time and i need to okay what's my next step yeah you know, so it's funny that you say that. I did the exact same thing when I got my black belt in jiu-jitsu, which was end of 2022. Um, I do this thing that I preach. I've done this all through jiu-jitsu. I don't remember doing very much in karate. But in jiu-jitsu, every year, I would take two weeks straight off. And that was outside of injury. If I'm injured, it doesn't count. Every year, I take two weeks straight, whether I like it or not. Most of the time, I hated it. Right? I wanted to be at class. But I take two weeks off. And I call it my reset. And I would do a mental reset. Why am I still here? Yeah. <laughs> Why am I like what I need like a like a refresher? I need to just take a break and like be like, okay, jujitsu is great. I love jujitsu, but there are other things in life than jujitsu. Let's take it uh, uh, yeah there is there, <laughs> like there is. Let's take a little break. <laughs> let's recenter ourselves and go back and and start again and i did that every year at black um i took over a month off when i got my black because then i was like what what am i doing now and it's not because i'm the best at jiu-jitsu and because i got a black belt like i'm done there's so many things just like it's just starting well, your, at mentality, black belt. your mentality at first is my goal to obtain is a black belt. exactly and then and by the happens. time you get there and you're like okay yeah. i got there and now what now what exactly i had to take that time to kind of be okay so what am i focusing on now am i going to compete do i want to focus more on teaching uh do i want to take on more responsibility as an instructor in my club do i want to do my own thing do i want i thought about starting like a competitive team uh like where am i going with this i just needed something right and, um, you know, I've always done jujitsu. It wasn't for the belts. It was, I loved the challenge. It was way rougher than karate than what I did in karate. Um, just because I was older. So I think it was just physically, physically tougher on me. I was able to take a lot of punishment, you know, when I was in my teens in karate. I think if I were to do karate at the same time I was doing jujitsu, I'd probably be living the same physical pain. Um, but it's always been like a social aspect because I'm I'm older. I love going to jiu-jitsu. I love talking to people before and after class, during class and whatnot. But that that wanting to learn, 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 learn and knowing that there was a belt coming at some point in time a few years away, it was still, it was still a goal, right? Yeah. It, all my focus wasn't on a belt, but I just knew that with hard work and dedication, I was going to get better and something was coming down the line. Right, it was it was gonna suck possibly less Less. the more (laughs) I went through, and then black happened. I was like, hey, I need I need to figure out what my plan is now, right? So um, that's when you really start learning. In all honesty, oh my god, that's when you really that's when your mind actually blows up because it's like yeah, you know, your first was to learn the technique just to get to black belt. Yeah. Now, 
as a black belt, you now have to incorporate it and find a way to not only give it back to other people that are training with you, like to, to learn and to whatever else, yeah. but at the same time, learn a concept so well that you can, you know, you don't even think about it. It just it happens. Just goes. It just happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think competition is, is something that I, I really wanted to focus on moving forward. It's how to go about it and how much time do I want to dedicate? You know, I'm like you, I've got a full-time job. Um, I can't. You know, I can't go three times a day. I, I'm not going to be, again, I'm about to say I'm not going to be world champion. That's not the goal of mine to be world champion. If it happens, it's perfect. If it happens, <laughs> why not? <laughs> I take but I mean, <laughs> to, to be able to dedicate that much time, knowing that that would be the goal, I, I don't think I have that time. So I think I need more realistic objectives um, that I'm still trying to figure out now. Um, but uh, you're not doing. Are you still doing karate now, or you know? I, I teach on Tuesdays? Okay, nice. I still teach. Uh, I keep my foot in because I'm gonna go for my second dan. Like okay. My plan is for my second dan and my brown belt. You know, like in yeah, jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So the only way that I can separate it in between two is I need to keep my feet in the door. And my my karate family is amazing. Like right. Those I cannot say anything bad. They have their politics like everywhere else. Yep. And you got caught up in the politics. It actually took me stepping away in order to be like, yeah, the politics are not about me. I don't I, care. Yeah. And I guess <laughs> with your foot in the door, if you're saying like you're doing once a week, you're less involved in the politics of it. You kind of go in, do your thing and then Get out. bail ship, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a good way to do it. Yeah. And what about jiu-jitsu? So you just got your purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Just got it, yeah. Yeah, but tell me how you, because I know you have a, you started jiu-jitsu many, many years ago. Yeah, well, I started, when I, when I first moved here, like I said, I started to roll with Max at his gym and I went from a white belt to a blue belt and then I stayed as a blue belt for 14 years before <laughs> I came back it was one of those like and I thought when I came back that you know I did a little bit of rolling a little bit here a little bit there I mean I started with Will uh, mm -hmm. Will when he was much younger before he even started jiu-jitsu and that's how he got into BTT right and you know I was going back I was a little bit nervous because it's like oh crikey i'm supposed to be good <laughs> i'm supposed to be good you know like and really i'm like but i'm so old yeah <laughs> i'm 45 damn it you know like the gray hair has already come out so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you're like and when i started rolling at first i was like oh okay i, I can handle my own i'm like i don't feel so bad so yeah, yeah. now i'm just like my goal is get my black belt in jiu-jitsu get my black belt keep my second down in karate yeah I was even making fun of him. I'm like, can I get my black belt in jiu-jitsu? Maybe I should get a black belt in judo. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think your body could take it. I'm like, I'm old. But, you know, like, at this point. Why not? Why not? Why not? Like, how right. many people can you say that you possibly know that have multiple disciplines in black belts? Yeah. There's not a lot. Yeah. I mean, my goal changed to that more so than, you know, oh, I'm going to be a world champion. Yeah. No, I'm going to be the best knockdown fighter ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, no, I'm just too old for that. Yeah. You know, fighting with these 20-year-old kids. And I do fight with 20-year-old kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I hit and it hurts. They hit and it hurts for a week. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> the next day, you know, even three hours from then, they're back in training and be like... <sighs> yeah. And I've never had the five-hour gas tank. I've never had that. I yeah. wish I had. I mean, that... Yeah, I don't think that... Whenever I, someone asks, I, I, what do you need to improve? Everybody's answer is always the same. But the truth is cardio, cardio, yeah, cardio. cardio.
And how do you find Jitsu has changed from when you did it back in the day to when you came back and said, you know what, I'm going to really like go to Jitsu multiple times a week and my goal is to really like get back into it. How do you find Jitsu's change? Um, it's a little bit less of a boys club. When I first came, okay. like Fabio was very boys club, but Fabio okay. really concentrated on MMA at that point. Okay. He was fighting, you know, I... I'm coming from it. I was doing MMA as well. So I I got it. But it was like that. Don't talk to me. I'm busy. I'm with the black belts. You know, they were very standoffish. Okay. Now, as when I come back, it's not like that anymore. At all. At all. Right, you right. know, like it yeah. went it went from that to technique. You need help. It doesn't matter who's there. They're going to help you. And I mean, it kind of threw me off because I was like, it actually made me really like going there more mm-hmm. because of... Just, you know, us when we're done rolling and everything, everybody sits at the end and talks. It doesn't matter yeah. what time of day. It doesn't matter what belt you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Everyone talks. Yeah. You know, and it's more a nice social ass atmosphere to it as well that you're not like, okay, like what the hell? Yeah. Like, okay, I train, I get out. I mean, because really when most people go train, that's what they do. Yeah. And there's some people who do just want that. They just want to go to class and train and, and leave. It's yeah. a business to them. I want to go and I want to learn and then I walk out. There are some people that are still like that. We see them in our club. There are oh, people sure. like that and that's okay. That's fine. Well, there's mean, nothing wrong with it, but you're never like, you're never going to get. It's going to be rough. Building relationships. You're, you're going to not really know someone's personality. Someone's, you know, like, so when you do get hurt, yeah. you don't know if it's on purpose. You don't know if it's. Yeah. And I was explaining to this in, uh, in another podcast recently, I was saying that, um, to be able to grow in jiu-jitsu, you're very reliant on other people. It's not a I'm alone in this space. You need other people. You need training partners. Wow, but not only that, as, <laughs> as a lower belt, to get the good information or great information from higher belts, you need to build relationships with them. Yeah, and by building those rapport is to be social to talk during class to ask questions you know we i mentioned this so many times lower belts need to ask more questions and be more open to go see higher belts on their own be like hey can you tell me how you deal with this or i don't understand this technique can you show me this because that's how you build rapport with the older belts and then the then the sharing starts and then you're like okay like all the little tricks all the little nuances that most people don't get that would someone at a higher belt yeah. will do. And I feel you'll get those, the, you'll get more out of jujitsu. And, um, I, I wish I had done more of that as a white belt and I didn't do that at all as a white belt. I was intimidated by everyone. So I'd go to class, do my class and leave. And that would be it. Um, if I were to do it again, I would take my own advice and, and talk to more higher belts and be a little bit more sociable. I would have gotten way well, more but out back of in the day. That was a little more intimidating. Like I it said. was, it yeah. was more intimidating yeah. because they're like, why are you talking to me? Yeah. Why are you talking to me? Yeah. Unless you're here six days a week, four times a day, why are you talking to me? Yeah. And that's where I really find that the genre has changed in, especially in our school. Fred runs a very, like, everybody's friends here. Everyone's polite. The school vibe will always be based on how the owner or head instructor is. You can tell how a school is going to be by just talking to who runs the show. It's as simple as that. I don't need to do a class. I don't need to speak to the students. I don't need any of that. Give me 30 minutes with the guy who runs the place. Have me have a just a general conversation about jiu-jitsu, about Anything. his yeah, background yeah. <laughs> and what he's done and what he thinks about his school and this and that. And then I'll know exactly 
how his students are like. The reflection is right there. The association is there. It's you, you, you'll, you'll know because you'll go into different schools where, you know, the instructor will be a little bit more standoffish, won't be as sociable. And then you realize, well, it's the classes are very much like that also, right? There's such a huge connection between the guy or girl running the show and the way that the program is being run. It's they're they're so interconnected. Oh, um, for sure, for sure. The the only issue is is that sometimes they need a change in that. I mean, prime example yeah. with BTT. You have Fred who runs, you know, the two schools, mm-hmm. but now he brings Mark in, who's yeah. not the same personality at all. Mark Samperi, Sam Marie, yeah. you know, even his daughter, they're not the same. They don't have great the same have. personality. Yeah. They need that personality in order to help. Like, because at first, when you have rough, like I'm very rough on the edges. <laughs> Everybody, every time, you know, even when I talk or I do something, it's like, oh my God, oh my God. It's a lot. Or yeah, what yeah, the yeah. hell is Harry going to say? <laughs> <laughs> Harry's going to say what everyone's thinking, but he shouldn't be doing that shit. You know, yeah, he should yeah. actually like, just shut up. Yeah. And it, it's it's personalities and it's great to have such a good mix of personalities in every school it's nice to have so many black belts with different skills and different personalities running different classes because then you could be like i connect with that guy a lot i'm going to be at all of his classes for some odd reason that class man not for me but i've got like 10 more that i can go to Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's tough because I've never been to a school that example only has like a morning class, two lunchtime classes and two evening classes. So then you're really limited. Right. You really got it. Like you don't have much to pick from. We're so blessed that we have, you know, schools that are open every night of the week. There's a lunchtime class every single day. There's morning classes. You can go on the weekends. Like there's no excuse not to train. You know what I mean? There's there's something for well, you everybody. You can make excuses, but oh, you I mean, can. Let's be you, honest. No you one know? will listen. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you can't use that as an excuse to someone who's there. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but that was a that was a big prerequisite for me when I had switched jiu-jitsu clubs. Was what's the you know schedule is a big one, right? How many classes you offer? So you know if I'm working full time and I can't make lunch, right? Um, how many gi classes do you have in the evening? Right? Do you offer anything on the weekends? I tend not to do anything on Sunday. Is there a class on Sunday? You know, that's a schedule is a big thing for people when you're looking for a new school or looking for a school. Uh, schedule's number one for me. I mean, obviously, there's is there a fit? You know, what's the culture like in the school and all that? But I mean, scheduling is is big. It's depending on what your life is. If you're a, if you're a student and you're free to train whenever you want, it's a little different. But for most people, I mean, most people with yeah. your work nights, days, there you, yeah, go. you can wrap yeah. yourself around. I think less and less schools have you know that limited availability where it's like I you know they only have two classes in the evening or whatnot. I think most schools offer a wide variety, but depending, it depends on if the owner changed it over like to. A, they have backup, someone to help them yeah. teach, and what are, which are, is very important. And like, are they doing that full time? Yeah. They might not be, exactly. right? Exactly. They might have to work or, or whatever else. Like. Yeah. I think a, a lot of karate schools, um, you know, most karate schools run in the evenings, right? They don't have stuff going on in, during, during the, the day. During the day and stuff. And that's why you see them online. Like there's, I always see like mat space for rent. Always. If oh, you, really? Yeah. If you go on Facebook. I don't know, man. In our Kenry Kai, Kenry Kai we, we, we don't have mat space. No. We have like the... Oh my God, the classes are so overbooked. Like, but yeah. during the day, I mean, during the day we have nothing. There nothing. you go. But 
the thing is always that we're pushing they they got to push more towards that yeah that's why on i'm seeing all these posts these um schools so martial arts schools in general that only run in the evening so all the traditional martial arts during the day they're now realizing i have all this space during the day I can't run my programs during the day. Like yoga or But yeah, someone could like probably come in and use it. So they're like, hey, like 30 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour. And it's cool. It's interesting. It's like you're you're it's it's a good way to get new things in. It's a new way to generate money and generate revenue out of a business where you would only operate in the evening, right? Um The problem with that is is that then you have not everybody who has the same mentality about your mat. That is true. I'm sorry, but people getting on the mat with their shoes. You want to see me go ballistic? Yeah. Let me see someone step on a mat <laughs> with their shoes. That's true. And That's I, hard. Was... I don't care whether it's karate. I don't care whether it's jujitsu. I don't care if it's wrestling. Because, you know, they really don't understand the whole concern of yeah. staff or, you know, ringworm. Or, yeah. you know, it may be inconvenient for you, but when right. I got it. It's very inconvenient. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think maybe there's a lot of hesitation because of that. Now that I think of it, you know, I don't want to, this is my sacred place. I don't want outside people randomly coming in, you know, so maybe, maybe there's something there. I don't you know. know. Like same with splitting up your class time. I mean, to get to the point where you have enough students that you can quit your job and say, this is what I'm going to do for a living right? and not feel like I'm not, you know, it's already, you're working all day, all night. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. Because you're working at your regular job, then you're working all night. In the evening. And then you're getting home at like midnight, take it up and go to work at six in the morning, where if you open the dojo, it'd be the same thing. But you would have to be busy enough during the day. Yeah. That it actually flowed itself. Yeah. That's why I was, so I've always worked full time during the day and I, I owned a karate school for many years in the West Island and I, we only taught in the evenings and weekends. And I'm telling you, it was the amount of times that I thought to myself, I wish I could just get rid of this day job and just teach full just, time. Just that's it. That's all I'm going to do. Just do it full yeah. time. And I thought of every scenario, after school programs. I thought about lunchtime Lunch classes. But they like all can't because if you run a non-profit school, they, they don't allow you in the school system here. Right. Even though, let's be honest, a non-profit karate school doesn't make sense. Why would you have a dojo that's non-profit? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's very hard to get in. Um, when I started teaching karate, I was actually in the elementary schools, but this was in the early 2000s. I would literally go and knock on the school's door. If it was locked, if not, I'd just walk in, which I sh you shouldn't be able to just walk into an elementary school in the middle of the day. Yeah. <laughs> but I would literally just walk in and ask to speak to the principal and say, hey, I'm a karate teacher. I'd love to teach an after school program here. And I had three schools where I, every afternoon I would go in and I would do an after school. I'd have 10, 20 students. I'd charge a fee per student and I was making ridiculous money. It was ridiculous. Now, much different. You have to, de instead of dealing with the individual schools, you got to go through the school, school board, board, right? They're always telling you to go through the school board. I think there's so something there. I'm in that, that, that industry right now of education and working with camps and all that stuff. And schools are in dire need of those programs right now and nobody's offering them so you could easily get in so i think there's opportunity for for that old school mentality of people saying i only run classes in the evening and daytime doesn't work i think it does i think you just need to get your foot in the door you know you need to find a way to get your foot in the door it's not everybody who's capable it has that skill set but you have either, to jump right? through all those hoops before oh you there's, a lot, there. there's hoops. a lot of hoops there's a lot of hoops the red tape is brutal especially yeah, yeah, yeah. 
in the whole genre of that. I mean, I, I yeah. looked it up for like even fundraising because it's a big problem with every dojo. It mm. doesn't matter what sport. Every dojo has a problem with funding. Yeah. I mean, MMA fighters, when they first start, they make crap. Yeah. They spend more money to pay to fight. And that doesn't include the gym. Yeah. Your gym fees. Yeah. All your medical, all your, you know, just getting to that point where they're like, okay, you can fight. Yeah. And you have to do that every year. Yeah. Uh, sponsorships and all that stuff are so hard. I mean, um, I've been trying to help out one of our local fighters, Antoine Chapu. Okay. Uh, he's one of our BTC Jitsu guys. He trains out of 360 MMA. I kind of got them in connection with one of our sponsors, which is the uh, Power for All. Um, which right now, by the way, we could plug a um, commercial. Uh, commercial. <laughs> yeah. Or an ad, uh, actually, they're one of our sponsors. So uh, let's do a quick ad for them right now since we're talking about them. Power for All is a Montreal-based company that sells nothing but the best when it comes to supplements and products. Delicious protein bars with 21 grams of protein using honey as sweetener and top quality whey protein. They have an amazing protein shake powder that has 27 grams of protein per scoop, one gram of carbs, and just one gram of fat. Maybe you're looking for creatine monohydrate, which I personally take daily. They've got you covered. Made in a Canadian laboratory and Health Canada inspected, you are getting the highest quality products, all based here in Montreal, Canada, at an amazing and affordable price. Guess what? It's all delivered to your front door. Go visit them at powerforall.com today. Now we can get back into our conversation because the ad just passed. <laughs> so yeah, so like we were saying, um, Antoine Chapu is a local MMA fighter. He just turned pro. Um, and you can imagine, you know, you're, you have your gym. You're then going somewhere else for maybe kickboxing or boxing. You got to pay that guy money. Right, yep. um, you're you're not working full time because you're concentrating on fighting, right? So how you you got to pay a cell phone, you've got bills to pay, you've got to eat, you got your 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 nutritionist. There's all that stuff. Finding sponsors is the, is one of the main key ways that these guys are able to survive and give themselves a chance to even get somewhere, right? In MMA, it, it's not easy. It's really not easy to find. We're lucky that locally here in Montreal, we have a lot of great companies and organizations, a lot of good schools, yeah. of good schools <laughs> that are, are willing to be like, you know what, like, I'll give you a discount on classes or I won't have you pay for products or this and that. But um, yeah, sponsoring is, is always a, a big challenge. Um, but I mean, even just going... To tournaments, just regular kids. I mean, because not everybody's. It's a hundred bucks to do a jiu-jitsu tournament. One hundred eighteen dollars. I know, and they don't even have enough people half the time. Yeah, they Did don't you... have people my age. They don't have people. You know, I, they mixed super, super, super heavyweight and ultra heavyweight together. Yeah, and then they're like, oh yeah, there's no master one, no master two, no master. There's no master. Wh- anything. Where are the people? Of, like here you are. You're yeah. fighting eighteen year old, eighteen yeah. year olds. I have a way to fix that, by the way. I'm not announcing it right now because I'm going to do a post on it. Okay. But um, <laughs> I'm planning something. So jiu-jitsu has been illegal in in Quebec, Quebec yeah. for 10 years now. Um, not to go through the details, but it kind of fell on... There was a loophole and there was like a... Yeah, well, Gaming Quebec wanted to say that case. There you go. That's there was something going Gaming on. Quebec wanted so to it was it. illegal for 10 years. And now the law is changing at the beginning of April 2023. And we're going to be able to do tournaments again, jiu-jitsu tournaments here in Quebec. Um, so I'm trying to plan something and I have a great idea for a tournament uh, on how to get people into that tournament and a good incentive without having it cost people a fortune. So I'm working on it now. 
when we finish the episode, I'll tell you more nice. about it. Okay. But uh, yeah, we're going to announce it later. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a later point. A later point. But yeah, jiu-jitsu in general is is just to compete is very expensive. Again, you're doesn't mean if you make jiu-jitsu, if jiu-jitsu is 100 bucks now and I made it 60 bucks, would I get more people signed up? I don't think so. No, I think a you bit, will. Maybe. I think you a will, bit. except for it's the longevity that you won't get as much. Right. Is what I, how I look at it. Yeah, because I mean, I'll give you an example. Grappling Industries is a great example of, again, they're not here in Montreal very often. Uh, the owner and founder is from here, but most of their tournaments happen in the States. They obviously, they can't run them here. They haven't been able to run them here run for them the here, past yeah. 10 years because it's the also They'll do Ottawa or Toronto uh, and they do a lot in the States, but they'll do Boston, New Hampshire, like really close to the border. They have a great business model where black belts compete for free. They pay oh, nice. nothing. So you send them an email saying, hey, I want to register to this tournament. I'm a black belt in this school, blah, blah, blah. They credit your uh, your registration to encourage black belts to come compete. That's awesome. That's like, That's, that's yeah, really that, cool. That, that creates some, you know, so you don't just have all white belts and young, young kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, get some adults. Yeah, and it's cool because all these young guys that are competing, they get to see black belts compete just a mat over. How motivating is that, right? Yeah. But uh, I'm curious to see how the Jitsu tournaments uh, start popping back up here in Montreal and how that's going to work. But um, yeah, I, I find it hard. Um, 120 bucks for a tournament, single elimination is a little is a little rough. Yeah. Right. Especially guys when you have to travel. You gotta, yeah. <laughs> we, fight one we, fight. Okay, had, you're done. We've had no choice but to travel. So it's not just you're paying for your registration fee, but you got to pay for your gas to get there. Right. Yeah. So or if it's plane, six or, hours away, or, or you got to pay for your yeah, hotel yeah. <laughs> and this and that, so there's a lot of fees. Um, if you have a family, maybe you've got two kids in jiu-jitsu too. You know, well, we were talking to the guys. Well, I got to pay. I got to pay for my two kids too. So now it's costing me 350 bucks and just in registration fees. Yeah, that, that has right. nothing to do with travel. Has nothing to do with feeding. Yeah, it has nothing yeah, yeah. to do with yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if there's a way to get it cheaper. I have thoughts but on there that. Is, but as a team, there is like people are fucking lazy is a nice way to put it. Like, they're lazy. Mm. Because you could go to Maxi or to Pharmapri or Loblaws or whatever you want. Go to them. They actually let you bag groceries as long as you're team. But you have to guarantee... Grocery stores. Yeah. yeah. You have to guarantee this many people. Right. But it's not just grocery stores. Bingo halls. Same thing. They'll have certain teams will go and work a bingo hall. Right. And I mean... These are the chances. I work casinos for wrestling. My coach was amazing with this stuff. Amazing. We did groceries. We did casinos. We did bingos. When we weren't training, that's what we were doing. Trying to raise and money. And then at 6 in the morning, we were running. But we never paid a dime. I never paid a dime in all the years I wrestled. Wow. Never. That was all through fundraising. The Keep first sport I ever, ever paid for is Jitsu BTT. I've never paid for anything. Wow. In is all it, the years I've had. Do you think a lot of wrestling clubs do this? Yes, because there's no money in it. The problem mm. is, is you're not allowed to take money because it's an amateur sport. Okay. You get caught taking money, you're no longer, that's it, it's done. Right. It's no longer an amateur sport. So as an amateur sport, they still have to pay their mat time. They have to have all this stuff and a coach. Now, but how did they get paid? Yeah. So it has to be a non-profit. Okay. Non-profit, the coach can make profit because he has to get paid for his job. Mm. But... The company itself has to be non-profit. So everybody, even if they paid, say, $100, you know, say you have 40 guys mm -hmm. at $100, it's, it's four, you know, it's $4,000. Yeah. 
Do you think that really covers your rental, your electricity, your gas, your cleaning, your this, your that? Of course, it does not. Right. So these guys only go to a certain age. Wrestlers. Have you ever seen an older wrestler? No, no you haven't. Right. You've seen old wrestlers right. that used to wrestle, but no, that kind of walk like this. None of them are Olympic. <laughs> no, no, no one goes to the Olympics. I mean, there's exceptions. Don't get me wrong. There's always mm-hmm. exceptions, but ninety percent of the wrestlers are done as an adult, a young adult. Twenties, early twenties, mid twenties, possibly thirty. Because of physically, because money, they're physically money, money. money it's is a all big about one. money, all about money. Hmm. Because how do you train that much? MMA fighters have the same problem. How do you train that much and then not support yourself? Right. And you have to give everyone money. That's the problem. You're yeah. handing out money, handing out money, handing out money, traveling, food, hotels. You know, probably costs you more as you get older too, right? Because, I mean, you're, it's tougher on your body. You know, you need. You well, physically, maybe it costs you more, but financially, it's always, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always out, 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 right. out. It doesn't bring in an income. Yeah. So now you get schools these days, you get all these people who are like, oh, there's another tournament. Oh, it's so expensive. Uh, so this. Okay. Well, here I have a, I have a, I can solve it. We're going to do groceries twice a month. Mm-hmm. We're going to go pack groceries. Guarantee 14 people. If, if I have 14 people, guaranteed that they're going to come, that I'm not, oh, we only have five. Oh, sorry, you can't do it. Leave. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can guarantee the people to do it and you just do it. Or just fundraising that, events A couple in general, of thousand right? dollars or whatever. Yeah. You know, when there is a tournament, you can either offset the cost of everyone's hotel or travel fees. And I mean, that's what our wrestling did. Is yeah, it yeah. paid for all of that? That's why we work so many of them in order to help our whole, as a team, not everybody got invited to every tournament. Yeah. But the truth is, is that you take your guys and you send them. And when your kid gets good enough, your adult gets good enough, you stuff them in the thing. Okay, you're going. You know, you're yeah. going. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ideas. I mean, um, I was about to say jujitsu bake sale just to be stupid. But, like, <laughs> uh, you know, like there is, I think there is a lot of yeah, but possibilities for fundraising. Outside I, of your school not exactly it has to be outside i think you need somebody that might have that experience or might have those ideas uh that has the time to also like organize them and but even if you organize them them, the problem is is getting people you got to get people on board in your school on board to do it that's rough because if they're not that's the hardest part because like you said you work all day then you have your kids at night when the heck do you have time yeah and then your free time you do have, so your Saturday, your Sunday, or your Saturday and your Sunday, yeah. I'm going to go sit for four or five hours with a bunch of kids. Yeah. You know, like the adult-wise, it's tough. Getting the kids out, it's rough because yeah. nowadays, they're in more than one sport yeah. too. That's where, well, you probably have more luck getting like the teens, you know, like the teen jiu-jitsu people, like those. I mean, there's options there. I think that whole idea behind fundraising, I think it's a great idea. I think... People need to do more and more of it. I think the money is there. I think you just need to find ways to go get it. And you need someone to dedicate their time of thinking about those ideas and planning it and organizing it. And creating it, it. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. I think that's what it is. Yeah. So call me for uh, Raymond Terrence Fundraising Consulting. Uh, <laughs> I'll come up with ideas for you. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. So now at Jiu-Jitsu, um, you're a purple belt. How are you finding your roles now? Do you find it 
going better, going worse? Is everything going downhill? It's, or you know what? It's very hard to tell. My body feels like it's going downhill. Okay. I'm not going to lie. The body feels like we're going downhill. Okay. I never complained about being in so much pain in my whole life. Until, <laughs> you know, you hurt your neck. That's it. Then then it's the shoulders. Then I tore a bicep. And it was just like, it's one thing after another. You know? Right. Um, how are you doing off of your back being a wrestler? So now how, how is jiu-jitsu It was very back? uncomfortable. I'm yeah. not going to lie. It was very uncomfortable at first. Very, very. And I'm still much better smash and pass. Smash and pass. Anybody who rolls with me will tell you that yeah. I can move my hips. I can move my weight. I have a good wrestling pace, you know. Yeah. Stand up with me and no problem. I'm going to I hate that pass that you do. It's so frustrating. <laughs> uh, Harry does this pass where he... You're, you have a half guard and he crosses his arms and holds on to your gi pants and then gator rolls you around and then passes your guard i don't know if that technique actually has a name uh but i hate that pass. Well, i work it up in yeah, yeah yeah it's so good it's such a great pass but um um well, because no one's going to let you grab their gi. Like, no one lets you grab a collar. Do you know if I got to the knee weave in your collar, then I'm going to I'm gonna pass. I'm yeah. going to roll sideways, and it, it's going to be a fight. There's going to be a scramble somewhere. Yeah. Where if you think, oh, he's on my legs, whatever, you're a little bit more relaxed. That's the time to, okay, no problem. Yeah, you actually just gave everybody a great lesson that I literally tell all white belts, and I also told a white, a white belt on Wednesday night. He's like, I don't understand. He's like, I don't know what to do when someone grabs collar sleeve on me. What to do? And well, don't let someone grab, grab your, your collar. collar. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. That should be the first thing we should be thinking about is your problem is not what do I do when that happens? It's you shouldn't let that happen in the first place, right? Yeah. But um, so going working off your back is getting a little better now, I guess. It's, well, I mean, it goes in waves. It, the, the worst part is you get to a point in your jujitsu where you're like, fuck, I'm not getting better. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting worse. I'm getting tapped out more. Because mm-hmm. really, the one thing about this sport is it's very humbling. You you better learn to freaking tap. You better, you know, otherwise you're going to have way more injuries. You're yeah. going to have way more, you know, like, what's the point? Yeah. You know, for your partner even, what's the point? I mean, if you want to do it right, do it right. But at the same time, know know your limits. Yeah. Know that, you know, being on my back now, I'm, I'm getting more comfortable, but it's a lot of practice. I mean, it's a lot. It's, I found it more tiring when I'm on my back than I do when I'm on top. Which is crazy because passing takes so much energy and time sometimes, especially if the guy has a really good guard. But I guess when someone's used to wrestling, right? Being on your back. Even being, if you're comfortable on your back, your legs move. You you get the movements, like the core movements, like you learn as a baby, essentially, you know, it's like, it's kind of the same idea as, you know, the rolling over, the sitting up, you know when to do it. Yeah. Uh, It's, as a wrestler, you don't want to be on your back. You want to get off your back right away. Yeah. But it's not necessarily always great to turtle and go flat. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, going to get killed that way, you know? Like, you literally just got to... I, I had to learn a balance, and it took me actually getting injured in order to help me with that. What was your injury? I, I tore my bicep, and then... In jiu-jitsu. In wrestling. Okay. In wrestling. I, I shot I shot a high crotch guy, pulled his leg back, pulled my arm back at the same time, and it just went snap in the middle of my bicep. You felt it right away. You knew. Oh, I knew right away. Right away, it was done. The big hole in my arm and the whole shebang right Whoa. off the like seconds. That's how old were you when this happened? Forty-four. Really? <laughs> yes. Like we're talking last year. This. Oh happened. wow. Okay. And um, it it really forced me. Fred really started to push me to get on my back more because my shoulders started to hurt because the tendons falling in front of your shoulder, like yeah. all the stupid politics that go with with your body too. You know, like, right, it's, right. it's the same. 
okay, this connected to this, does this, does this. Did you get it reattached? Did that do I didn't it? have to because it's muscle. I didn't pull the tendons. It was straight muscle okay. that tore. And with that, it's supposed to grow back according to a doctor. Okay. You know, if it was a tendon, I'd have to go for an operation. Did you physio and... Physio is like weightlifting and I really, really lightweight. never weightlift. Okay. <laughs> I do what Fred tells me to do. I take the five pound, you know, and I look okay. like a wuss. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how you can get a big ass 235 pound guy and pick a five pound weight up and look like a little girl. Right. And it feels good now, a year later, like it's back I, to normal? Or? It's not back to normal at all. Okay. But it changed my role. Right. And I mean, a lot of people I've talked to said the same thing. You know, it took them getting injured. Yeah. In order to explore another aspect of their jujitsu to make them better. Yeah. Yeah. We just had a brown belt on saying the exact same thing. He got wrist locked. And uh, when he got wrist locked, it developed a whole new part of his game um, that he never even realized that, you know, he could possibly develop all because he wasn't able to use his arm anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. I yeah. Mean, that's what it came out to. And really, the hardest part about training is when you hit those plateaus, you know, when you don't feel you're getting better, you don't nothing's changing yeah and then you really see it when you try with someone that you've never rolled with before and then you're like oh Oh, okay okay maybe it it is changing (laughs) it's just everyone around me is adapting to my style as well as i'm adapting to their style and yeah things start to even out when they start to adapt to your style yeah you know then i I make fun of it because a lot of jujitsu guys will skip around people because they don't like the style that they Mm -hmm. do because they know they're going to get smashed by them yeah well that's what it is i mean i can do great against three other black belts but there's this one black belt who always has my number just because the styles don't match right yeah exactly yeah and their style the is... problem solving isn't there yet right <laughs> I, i'm trying to do this he's trying to do that and we're just clashing right and yeah yeah i i think uh at all belts you have that may probably less when you're a white belt because you just don't know anything but i think especially at purple it you, it's more apparent well it right? is i find it apparent but yeah. i find it you know my biggest issue right now is more the higher belts don't roll with me. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's only a couple. Okay. I mean there's a, there's, I could say out of the twenty that I know we have. Yeah. There's maybe five that do. That's awesome. Everyone else skips around me. That's awesome. I've said this multiple times since we started this podcast many years ago. I I'm I get I could go through the story over and over and over. As a purple belt, I would literally stand in line, and I would stare down the line of all the higher belts as they were starting to pick and i'd stare at them in their face because no one would pick me very few people i'm saying i'm not saying yeah, no yeah, one no. you know yeah. there there were people that picked me but very few picked me now that could be for a multitude of reasons but i would have to step out of the line and look down the line just to hopefully get one of them to be like Okay, Ray, (laughs) I caught you staring like I'm grabbing you. I had the exact same problem at Purple, and I realized later on it was a great problem to have. It means that you're doing something right, you're doing something scary, and it's intimidating to other people. Eventually, it'll... It'll change. Yeah. It'll happen. But though the mo- it kind of sucks because you're like, I want those high level roles, right? Well, that's I, how you learn. I, that's I, how you, you roll learn. with people. I who want are those guys. That's how you get Yeah, it's today. good because you're calling them out now. This is awesome. I love it. I used <laughs> to do it all the time. It got to the point where I would step out of the lineup and I would verbally say, and I'm pretty sure Fred didn't like this very much. He never said anything, but I, I, I'm sure, pretty sure he didn't like it. I respect him for not being like Ray Shut Up, but I would step out of the line and say, just waiting for a black belt to pick me. 
<laughs> waiting for anybody. And man, it would piss some people off. I'm sure I pissed some people off along the way. But again, that didn't last forever. It was just a small stint at Purple. Um, I had like a few tricks up my sleeve that no one was doing. And people hadn't figured out a solution to them yet. Yeah. And it would just be annoying to get caught in them. You know, like I had this stupid baseball bat choke that I would catch everybody in and like... Minus no, wrist locks. Yeah, and no, nobody was doing it. <laughs> and then when people would catch on to the baseball choke with just the hands, I started doing the baseball from the bottom with the lapel instead. And people were like, oh, I hate you for that also. So like I didn't set myself up well to, to accommodate people because uh, I, I like those little tricks at purple, those little... YouTube clips I would see and turn them into my own them, yeah. and people would hate me. You know what I mean? And that's fine. You know what I mean? I was, I was trying to learn along the way also, but I think uh, you're a super sociable guy. Everyone gets along with you. I think, um, I think every purple belt, good purple belt goes through that. I realized that everyone in Jisu goes through those moments where they start be to become scarier for the season purples the browns well, they and don't maybe some injured, blacks right? their biggest fear they right? don't want to get injured they if they're not used to rolling with you they you know they don't know are you are you still spazzy what kind of style do you have so there could be a hesitation there also or it could just be strict you're an amazing purple belt and there's there might be ego somewhere i wouldn't right? say that there's no ego for me there no no, I, but there are. I'm I not mean, a crappy purple belt, but I'm not a. I'm not a phenomenal purple nah, belt. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you know? but you're. My good. wrestling helps huge. Yeah, I mean, but again, that's that's something that you need to take to heart too. I mean, it, you're you're a good purple belt because of your wrestling. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's scary to go. We we roll together all the time, and when I roll with you, it's like. I always pull guard. I'm like, screw this guy. I'm playing in his game. <laughs> Fuck him. If he wants to try to pass, he's not passing. Screw these guys. And you do the stupid gator roll and then you pass my guard. Um, but um, I like that challenge, right? And not maybe not everybody likes it, but I think uh, I think you just got to give it some time and you know, get more high-level rolls. And, yeah. It's more fun that way. I mean, it is I, fun, yeah. I, I don't mind tapping. I don't mind getting crushed. A thousand times at this point. That's yeah. the one thing I have learned in all the sports I've done. Yeah. You're going to fail way more than you're going to win. Yeah. And the only way you become a winner is to fail. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, there's no other way to look at it other than that. Yeah. You know, I did a tournament in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago. And How'd I was go? up three advantages to nothing okay. in the last minute. There's no coaches. There's no nothing. So I don't know what, how much time is left. My back was turned to the clock. And a guy caught me in a loop choke. And instead of fighting it, because I was like, oh, Kate got it. Eh, it's not really in tight. Okay. But I'm not going to sit here for two minutes while he's choking me. Like right, right, Sooner right. or later, I'm going to have tap. Okay, I'll tap, tap. Get up, look at the clock and go, fuck. <laughs> 25 seconds left. Uh, I, like, I totally could have fought horrible. that for 25 <laughs> seconds. You know, like I totally could have fought that for 25 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, didn't know, you know, like. That's where, again, is, uh, is. The clock is your best friend and your, and your worst, worst enemy, enemy at the same time. When you're doing jiu-jitsu, I can give advice to anybody who does jiu-jitsu tournaments, is you always need to do spot checks on the clock. So Oh, if, for sure. But if, if you're when you're stopped and someone's that's guard what I'm with saying. your back to it, that's where it's If like, you're true. positioned in a bad way <laughs> and you can't see, like you got to find a way to like peek your head out or do something just to see where the time is at. Because the time is, is your biggest, I mean, especially in those cases where you're like, 
you could have probably lasted or you would have yeah, worked yeah, yeah. maybe a little bit harder to defend it knowing that there was only a few seconds left. But, uh, yeah, the clock sucks. <laughs> I mean, that, I'm not going to lie about it. And then when they hand you a bronze medal for one fight, you're like, what uh, the heck? This one's going in the drawer. <laughs> not even in the drawer. I actually went back to school and gave it to Fred. I was like, here, Fred. Put it up somewhere. Or, I don't I don't want this crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I don't believe in participation medals. Yeah. What, what, what did you learn from that? Um, was it exactly that? Pay more attention to the clock? Or was no, it... No, I've always paid attention to the clock. I much prefer to make sure I have someone there to be like, at least tell me the time. Tell me the score. Okay. I mean, I did it for Claudio. And Claudio loved it because it's easier knowing that. Because yeah. when you're there, you could have someone way better than you. And they could tell you what to do but yeah. listening while some other guys on top of you trying to choke you or you know are you used to, to that in wrestling off. like yeah, people yeah. shouting things oh, out for to sure, you for oh sure. yeah my coach was huge on it and okay. i listen but i get when you're really really tired trying to listen at that point it's it just doesn't it's yeah it's like you know when i'm teaching karate and i have someone wasted after doing all the exercises and all this and you're like keep your hands up us Keep your hands up. Us. At some no, no, point, no. It's like Saying us does not keep your off. hands up. You put your damn hands up. You know, like. Yeah. And some people aren't good listeners during competition. Some people aren't capable of taking instruction and fighting at the same time. Some yeah. people are just bad at it. But for those that are good, like such as yourself, and I love hearing and I'm capable of listening and adjusting as my coach is yelling things out. Um I, I can appreciate the, the coaches that do do that and having someone there to do that. Oh, it, sure, it helps man. a lot. It does help. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, because I ask all um, guests at the end of the episode, what you're, what you're, how many times are you training per week now in jiu-jitsu? In jiu-jitsu? Yeah. Four. Four times? five. And what's your uh, nutrition like? Like what, what are your... What nutrition, man? Oh, I'm my so God. not the nutrition guy. Can I please get a guy here who eats well? You're I, literally the 10th person who tells me I, I don't, don't eat well. I don't have a plan. I don't... I don't. I really don't, man. Crazy. And I have lots of friends that are really into it, really into it. Yeah. The, the, the funny part is either it's really good for you or you're not. I'm not disciplined enough for this. Okay. You know, my, my life is... Do you eat breakfast? Do I? Sometimes. Okay. Lunch? Sometimes, if you, I didn't eat breakfast, I eat lunch. If I don't okay. eat lunch, I, don't, I eat breakfast. You know, do like, you supplement with anything? Any nothing s- at all. No supplements. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Blah. Wow. You don't like. Uh, and your recovery? How's your recovery after jiu-jitsu? Are you good? Are you? Sick? It depends. If I'm injured or I'm hurt. Okay. Hurt very quickly. I mean, I could have a bruise after my black belt in karate. My my leg was black, like black bruise. Mm-hmm. Within a week, it was gone. Okay. You know. Uh, now, when you're injured, it's something it's different. different. It takes a lot longer. But, okay. I mean, but generally re- speaking, after a jiu-jitsu class, your next day is oh, I'm it's okay. I'm gold. I can train the next day, no problem. Wow, I'm like, that's insane. I'm not, even at 45, I don't have an issue with that. I mean, I can. Wow. I I never had the gas tank. Like I said, I never had the. Right. I know guys that can fight for an hour. Mancini, Justin Mancini, that guy can fight for an hour nonstop. Uh, Vignon. Steve Vignon, that guy has the best gas tank I've ever seen in my life. I've seen him fight 20 rounds in a row. And after two rounds, I'm like, okay, I just need two minutes, five minutes. And then I'll get back in. You know, like you have to fight at least someone else in between me and them because I need that. (laughs) But these guys, they have gas tanks that go forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Faraz at TriStar, same thing. That guy has a gas tank. I've never seen any... It's crazy the amount of uh, guys that I speak to that are in their 30s and 40s who train jiu-jitsu. And I ask them about nutrition. They're like, I don't do anything. 
Yeah. And I, in my head, I, I can't believe it. I am, I'm not on a regimen, but I'm very careful of what I eat. I try to supplement. So, and it's all about recovery. It's all being able to do jiu-jitsu multiple times in a week and getting up the next day. And I'm telling you, it's, I, I'm, I, I've, I'm, I'm determined now that I'm not training the right way right now because literally the next day and the day after, I'll, I'll probably, I usually take a day in between trainings. Uh, that next day, I am toast, man. Physically, I'm toast. And I supplement. I eat very well. I'm hydrated. I drink almost four liters of water per day. And I don't, I have a guy coming on the show who's a, who's like a, he's a, a fitness expert. He's a coach. Uh, he's a nutritionist. He's coming on the show yeah, next week. I need to have a conversation with him. Here I drink I'm, alcohol. I there you go. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> the other night we went to the comedy club when Jamie Mancini was doing the comedy club. Yeah. There's, you know, Claudio and Kevin were there and here I am eating nachos, drinking beer. I'm like, that's more like, I really don't. I can't man. believe it. It's all about believe. being happy. I really find that right. being happy is what helps me recover a lot more than, you know. All right, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to I'm gonna train tonight, go crazy, and I'm going to maybe have a bottle of wine and be happy while I'm drinking it and see how my next day is. I'm telling you, it, <laughs> alcohol is a little bit harder the next day now as right, I get older. Right. But, I mean, you know, one glass, two glass. I mean, right. most of the time now... I switched off the alcohol because I drank a lot before and I was trying to slow it all down because you pack on weight with alcohol. Right. That's a fact. Yeah. You pack on weight. And I'm That makes you slower. I'm already a big boy. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, I went to edibles. I tried, man, guess uh, I took edibles, crashed, wake up the next day, no hangover, no nothing. And you're like, good as gold. Let's train again. Let's do it. How about before jiu-jitsu? Jiu-jitsu, nothing. I, I work it my day, man. Like, cause no the, talk about edibles before. No, jiu-jitsu. no, never, 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 never. Never. Drugs and drugs and fighting don't go together. I don't care what anyone says. I know people who do do it. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with it at all. Okay. The truth is, is that if something actually happens and you're not, all your capabilities are not there, mentally clear, mental clarity, stuff like that, right. and you get hurt, or you can really, really get hurt because you're. You know, you're choking someone and they're freaking not tapping because they're, you know, they're a little bit high and they're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you put them to sleep. I mean, if you really don't pay attention, I mean, we're, we're, we all pay really good attention about, oh, okay, I know. Yeah. I feel them sag in my body. I'll let them go. I mean, yeah. that's the one thing I really like about this sport. But some idiot gets high and does it choke someone out or gets yeah. choked out. You know? I have that mindset or I don't know what would happen if, if, you know, under that state. Uh, I have a guy coming on shortly who smokes before every single uh, jitsu class. Like I said, I know people who do it. I can't wait to, to pick his brain on that. Uh, I've never done it. I wanted to do uh, an episode where, um, by the way, we're in Montreal, Canada, where marijuana is legal, uh, by yeah, the way. All the way across. Uh, it's so, legal in New York yeah, now, too. So we could literally go around the corner <laughs> and go to a store and buy it and go outside and smoke it. We won't get arrested by the cops or whatever. So uh, that's a little disclaimer to my following comment of wanting to film <laughs> someone get really high and then yeah. go to jitsu and see what would happen and how funny that would be. Again, talking about injuries and all that stuff. But I have a guy coming on that kind of does that. But um, I find it really interesting. Your eating habits, you don't supplement, and you're still kind of going strong in jiu-jitsu. Uh, and you're following the same thing that I've been told by multiple guests who are all around the same age and everything. So I'm doing something wrong. Basically <laughs> what I'm saying. Well, it's not that you're doing yeah. it wrong. It's just different. Different. <laughs> different. That's it. You know? Even 
you look at this, the best way I look at this, okay, is that you have 90-year-old people to 100-year-old people mm-hmm. that in their whole life, all they've ever done is drank and smoked. Yeah. Drank and smoked. That's all they ever did. You got a vegan who only, you know, my body is a temple and they die at fucking 40. You never know, Do you right? think it really matters what you, like, at the end of the day? You could be walking across the street, a car could come out and then... No, but even living to old age. To old age, yeah. I mean, really, it, it does... We know that smoking causes cancer. Fact. Not everybody gets cancer. Because everybody has cancer in their body. So it doesn't get activated just because you smoke. Right. So it just really depends. I find, I believe 100% when it's your time, it's your time. You know, for training purposes, you want to you wanna be healthy? Live healthy. You know, like, yeah. you, it's not going to help you recover. It doesn't help you recover anymore, any faster. Yeah. I mean, you, you doing supplements and... I mean, they help when you're young and yeah. you're building and everything's being built. Yeah. But as an older adult, what, what effects do you get? I mean, you could have the, the post fight or whatever, the post to help you rebuild your carbohydrates and yeah. building muscle with your with their vitamins and stuff like that. Yeah. I agree. They, they probably do help. Especially those right there, the Power for All ones. Powerful. You know, our okay, sponsor. Yeah, yeah keep going. Right. Okay, good. But, you know, <laughs> I, I get that it does help. Yeah. But for me, I'm not disciplined enough for that. Yeah. Me personally. Right. You know, like, because... Oh, do I have a protein drink or do I have a uh, Ryan Seven? Mm. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I know it right, sounds right. dumb, but it's like a no. It's your that's the way you live, and everyone <laughs> lives their way, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, I have tons of friends that are really highly into supplements all the time. Yeah, I don't see them having any more beneficial effects right. than me. Yeah. And, I, and, you're, and you're spending your money in different ways also, right? Because supplements are expensive overall, except for Power for All. I don't know. I, I don't but know. Uh, supplements in general are quite expensive. But um, Thanks for being on the show. Anytime. I appreciate it. And uh, you're welcome anytime. And uh, yeah, I'm curious maybe to get a follow-up on your next tournament. Are you planning to register in another one? I'm Mastermind. I'm a Mastermind. There you go. In mastermind. So, in, what do you call it? Uh, in Hawksbury. Ottawa. Hawksbury. Hawksbury. Hawksbury, right? Which ADCC is in Ottawa the same weekend or the weekend before. In May, right? In April. In April. Okay. April 18th, I think, right. is the one that's in You'll have to Hawksbury. practice your, your gator roll on me. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I want. All right. You've been listening to Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu with Raymond Terrence. Go follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page. Turn on notifications and press that like button. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the mats.